Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. What's up, everybody? I'm Najee Adams. And I'm Hunter Jacobs. And you're listening to the Hoop Bowl Nets Podcast. So we're back with another episode, and this time we're going to keep it simple, short, and sweet. We're going to go over the Nets' loss to the Pacers, give our first impressions of the Nets' four games into the season, and go over the DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen relationship that is flourishing for the Nets. But before we do that, let's get to the intro. Make sure y'all subscribe to the Hootball Nets podcast on iTunes. You can look up Brooklyn Nets or Hootball Nets. Either way, we pop up. Leave a five-star rating and review. All reviews are getting read on the podcast, so just make sure you leave one. It takes like 30 seconds for y'all, but it helps us out a ton. So there's that. Shout out to Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company for being the title sponsor of this podcast and every other hoop ball podcast. You can check them out at High Kona Coffee on Twitter and HawaiianIsles.com. And without further ado, let's get into things. So yes, the Nets did unfortunately give the Pacers their first win of the season. They lost 118 to 108. And just to quickly go over the game, um, the biggest lead the Pacers had was 16. The biggest lead the Nets had was 7. The problem in this game, once again, was the turnovers. The Nets had 19 compared to the Pacers' 9. So that's a plus 10 for turnovers for the Nets. They did happen to out-rebound them, though. The Nets shot 44.1% from the field, and the Pacers shot 46.9. 32.3% from 3 for the Nets, 42.3% for the Pacers, and then 61.5% from the free throw line for the Nets, and 85% for the Pacers. Going over the box score, we can start with the Pacers, I guess. Um, so Turner actually got injured pretty early in this game. So the fact that the Pacers were able to win without him, I mean, post-defense has not really been their primary issue. To be honest, it's consistently been guards combining for over 40 points. Like Jeremy Lamb and Brogdon at 46 in this game. I mean, in this one alone, in this one alone, they allow four people to score 20 or more points. And Miles Turner, one of their best players, like you said, only played nine minutes because he got injured. Like, stuff like that is just unacceptable. DeMontis Sabonis, 29 points in 36 minutes, 11 of 18 from the field. He knocked down two three pointers, eight rebounds, four assists. Um, Malcolm Brogdon, he's having a crazy season. Twenty-one pickup. I think he's the reason that the Bucks are no longer the best team in the East. Losing him is a big loss. Yeah, I mean, we was arguing about who's better between him and Karis LeVert earlier, but I'm still gonna say it's Karis LeVert. Seven for nineteen from the 
from the field, one of five from three, six of six from the line, 13 assists. He's averaging like 11.2 assists per game, which is a career high for him. He's actually leading the league in assists, eight rebounds, almost a triple double. Um, Jeremy Lamb, 25 points on 11 of 19 shooting, extremely efficient, 58% from the field, seven rebounds. And then the last 20 point scorer for the Pacers was TJ Warren. He had 20 points on eight of 16 shooting. On to the Nets, they were yet again carried by their three best scorers. Kyrie had 28, Karras had 15, and Spencer Dinwiddie had 20. However, I will say that Karras had a 6 of 18 shooting percentage from the field and had four turnovers in this game, so it wasn't his best. Joe Harris shot 5 of 9, so all reliable put up a good line. Yeah, Joe Harris back at it again. Three of six from the three-point line. That's our guy. Torian Prince only shot 30% from the field. So he was two of eight from three, two rebounds, two assists. Didn't make that big of an impact on the game, but I still think he's going to be a monster this season. Karis LeVert, like you said, six of 18 from the field. So not his best shooting performance either. Kyrie. Once again, a monster, 28 points in 30 minutes, 11 of 20 from the field, seven rebounds, six assists, only one turnover. He's being extremely efficient with his turnover to assist ratio this season. And then Spencer Dinwiddie came off the bench, played 26 minutes, 20 points on 7 of 17 shooting. He was only one of five from three, and he was five of six from the free throw line. Yet again, he also turned the ball over four times. Him and him and Lavert seem to be the leading people with turnovers they often have three or four a piece but you take it with what you get from them they're the second and third best scorers on the team best play best playmakers behind Kyrie so they also have the ball in their hands a ton and like they're not young players but they're still not veterans so they're still getting acclimated to the whole game and it's a whole new system with Kyrie so I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt for this one um I mean it took a while to get going last season too exactly or there was a stretch when they had lost nine straight games before going on their tear that led them to the playoffs. Exactly. And that's what I want to talk about when we get to the first impressions because I feel like people are, are going way putting way too much into the first four games of the season. So DeAndre Jordan started in this game. He played 22 minutes to Jared Allen's 21. Um, this is the second straight game that DeAndre has started. So in the so the Nets have played four games. Jared has started two of them. DeAndre started two of them. He had 17 rebounds, seven of them being offensive, so he was definitely a monster on the boards this game. When we look at like the intangibles of the game, the Nets gave up 118 to the Pacers, which is the most that they've scored the entire season so far. And when you look at defense, Jared it wasn't Jared Allen's best defensive performance. He gave up 22 points to the players that he were he was guarding and allowed them to shoot 66.7% from the field. And in this game, like the first four games, the Nets have relied on the isolation offense. Their big three scorers, Dinwiddie, Kyrie, and Levert, really just slow the offense down. They still pass a lot, which is they're like top five in passing, to, like the total passes that they thrown as a team which is crazy because usually in the isolation system you don't pass the ball that much but Kenny Atkinson is really working his his magic with this type of system um do and you, the, do you think that Jared Allen's gonna fall into the the Hassan Whiteside type of defense where he's known for blocking shots but not being a good defender I just mean having shot blocking ability I mean I feel like I feel like that could be a route that Jared Allen goes just because he's not the he's not like laterally quick. Like when he's d- defending opponents on the perimeter, 
he's going to get blown by just because he's not like he's athletic, but he's not like he doesn't have the lateral quickness to keep up with faster defenders. So, yeah, I feel like his his the value that he brings to the team comes from his his ability to block shots. So I could in terms of isolation too, that's how they're going to play. They played like that a lot last year because that's just the type of player that Dinwiddie is. Dinwiddie's always going to be an isolation player. He knows how to create space. Kyrie's the same way. So when Kyrie came, you could almost predict that they were going to be a primarily isolation scoring team. Yeah, and they're gonna be they're gonna be a different uh, they're gonna score in different ways because D'Lo ran the offense last season, and D'Lo and Kyrie, as much as people are saying they're close in skill, they're two very different players, and they're not like so. The way that Kenny runs the offense can't be the same because D'Lo relies a lot on screens and pick and roll shooting his shots in the mid range. Whereas Kyrie, he can really get a bucket from anywhere on the court. So they're going to play different types of games. And so Kyrie and Dinwiddie are top 22 in isolation frequency of any players in the entire league. And Dinwiddie is number three behind only LeBron and Harden. So that just shows how much they really are isoing, especially with him coming off the bench. And so that is how the Nets lost to the Pacers. So we can move on to the first impressions of the Nets four games into the season. So what I have to say before we get into this is that everyone just needs to calm down because the Nets, they're one in, what, one in three right now. The, yeah. And they very well could be 0-4. They very well could be 4-0. Every game has been close except this one against the Pacers, I guess you could argue. But it always comes down to a couple of turnovers, a couple of free throws, just miscommunications on offense and defense, which should show you that once they get rolling and they start gelling together, that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. I believe that the three biggest issues that we're seeing so far, and it's the same three issues to start last season, and they're fixable as we saw in the second half of the season. It's poor perimeter defense, poor free throw shooting, and high turnover rate. Because if you look at each of their games, they allowed John Morant to score 30 and and Dylan Brooks to have over 20 points too. They allowed Alonzo Trier to have 22. Every game they played, they had Lamb and Brogdon over 20. They they have not played You're right. I forgot that they used to get lit up by guards last season. Not the big men that have been killing them on the teams other than Sabonis, really. It's mainly been the guards. They did a good job on Jaron Jackson, but the problem is when John Morant scores 30 and carries them through the whole last few minutes of the game into overtime, that's an issue. It is an issue, and that's why I say there. He's a veteran. He should should have been able to overpower John Morant in the end of that game. I mean... I agree. I think that if we're going to pinpoint one loss that the Nets have that they shouldn't, it's I want to say it's the Grizzlies because there's no way that you should be giving up 30 to John Rant in his third NBA game. That is just unacceptable. So that's where I come to say that my three takeaways from the Nets four games into the season, number one is that they are really, really, really bad on defense right now. That's, it's mainly perimeter defense, but overall teams are scoring 122 a game on them, which is the third worst in the league, and they give up the highest three-point percentage, too. It it seems as though the effort that we were discussing from preseason games actually carried over to the regular season, where we'd see 
guys not closing out as well as they should and just standing watching the ball. Exactly. And I feel like I feel like a lot of it is effort or like a lot of it is not knowing like bad defensive like I don't know how to ex- how to explain it, but a lot of it is not knowing your opponent. And like a lot of the time in the Pacers game, they were just leaving Sabonis open. DeAndre Jordan would just let him shoot. And granted, DeMontis Sabonis isn't Stephen Curry. He's not knocking down shots or anything like that. But, but can make it. So you still Exactly. You still have to close out. So and that's where I come to say that once they start to gel together defensively, they'll be fine. They were what, eight and eighteen through the first couple of games of last season. They ended up winning forty games. Is because after that stretch, they turned things around. That's when Delo started taking over. And in this case, I don't know that Kyrie will have to take over. Because as we've seen, he can score 50 and they still not win. Like, yes, that's rare. But I think the team overall has to step up on these little things. Free throws, turnovers, defense, rather than Kyrie just taking over games. Yeah, they're giving up. They're top 10 in the field goal percentage allowed to the opposing team. And so that means it's not just perimeter defense that's a problem their defense all over the court is a problem jared allen gets fried sometimes in the paint deandre jordan gets fried sometimes in the paint i think i think it just takes time like it's not they weren't gonna come out i don't know what some nets fans expected they weren't gonna come out and just be the 2016 warriors like it's gonna take time and the second impression is really that they've been great on offense which you amazing on offense on team they're top 12 in offensive efficiency, top 10 in pace. They take a lot of free throws, top four in the league in that. And then they grab offensive rebounds. That comes with DeAndre Jordan and points per game, Kyrie Irving. When you get Kyrie and DeAndre Jordan, your offense is going to improve. Exactly. They're, they're not as pick. They're, everything. they're not as pick and roll heavy. Like we said earlier, they run a lot more iso ball, but they're still top three in screen assists per game. And Screen assist per game is basically you score off an immediate screen. Like the screen. A lot of that actually is for Joe Harris. Joe Harris is great at running through screens and taking threes. And he takes the same type of threes as like JJ Redick. Have you ever seen JJ Redick come off a down screen and pull up as soon as he gets? Those are the type of exactly exactly they're pulling threes off of screens. Exactly. So yes, if there's anything to look forward to, is that. Four games into the season, although the Nets, a lot of the pieces the Nets have are similar to last season, adding Kyrie in brings a whole different perspective, and they're still really, really extremely good on offense, probably better than they were last season. So I think, if anything, you can expect the offense to take a slight hit going forward in the season and the defense to take a major bump. I don't think they're going to be the worst defensive team in the league. I I think they're going to figure it out, whether it's small rotation changes or just gelling better as a team as the season goes on I think the defense will improve and then my third and final takeaway comes on the in the realm of free throws and turnovers I think those are the two outside of obviously offensive and defense I think that free throws and turnovers are the two biggest issues the Nets are facing right now so they're bottom three in free throw percentage even though they're top four in free throw attempts the way I don't know how that works, but they take a lot of free throws. They just don't knock them down. See, the, the issue with that is aside from Kyrie, Dinwiddie, and Joe Harris, they don't really have someone that you want taking free throws. They don't. They don't have a, a – a, outside of the three players you just named, who's the Nets' best free throw shooter? 
When you really when you really think about it. I mean, I guess out of the next wave of players, I'd probably take Tory and Prince. Tory and Prince, maybe I would take Karis. He's not a horrible free throw shooter. But neither of them are knocked down. That's the problem. I don't think the Nets have any knockdown free throw shooters outside of Kyrie and and Joe Harris, maybe. Because even Spencer Dinwiddie, we could have won the what game was that? The the Grizzlies game. We could have won the Grizzlies game if he would have knocked down both free throws. But he split, and that's why we went to OT. And then turnovers. This was our biggest issue when we were talking about last season. It's been the Nets' biggest issue for like the past three years. Could Harris handle? the ball as much as they're going to give him the ball it will he his decision making be good and it's not just him Dinwiddie also they were due for increased roles last year how are they going to handle it and early on it was exactly what we were saying they kept turning the ball over they were near the top of the league they were giving up points to guards like DJ Augustine and Patty Mills away DJ more than Augustine and Patty Mills I completely you bring it up the throwbacks because I completely forgot they were getting lit up by those two and it's the same issues I don't know if it's an issue with chemistry if it's an Atkinson run team thing I'm, I'm not saying he's a bad coach by any means but I don't know if it has to do with his system but they will figure it out again Kyrie is not someone who turns the ball over a lot, so it's on Dinwiddie and Lavert to figure that out. And and a lot of their turnovers, as I'm watching, come off of attempted lob passes. So many of them, so many of them come off botched lobs because they they go for like screen and rolls with DeAndre Jordan and Jared. And a lot of them come from Spencer Dinwiddie and DeAndre Jordan, the bench unit. They. So the big man sets the screen and like I think it'll come with that's another thing that'll come with time in that they need to learn each other's rhythm and like how they cut how DeAndre Jordan cuts to the basket the right time for Spencer Dinwiddie to throw the lob like that's the type of stuff that you need to play together for a more than four games to to really understand and a lot of their turnovers outside of that come from the fact that they play a lot of ISO ball and when they they end up taking bad shots and passing out of it and the defender just picks it off. Like, a lot of their turnovers come that way. And then, back to free throws, they could have won both the Wolves game if Jared Allen knocks down one. That That is the game. He missed both of his free throws. That is the game that haunts me this season. I know- both of them. Insta- they are the best one in three teams. Easily. Easy. I don't even know what other teams are, other teams are one in three, but whatever other teams are one in three, the Nets are the best team that's one in three. They're playing down to their opponent's level at this point. They that's why I said they very well could be four and zero. Oh. It's slight things, slight adjustments that need to be made for this to be a top four, top five seed in the East. Yeah, Easily. I mean the other one in three teams are the Pacers, the better Wizards, than the Pacers, better than the Wizards, the Warriors, and the Grizzlies. Now that Steph is gone, I'm taking the Nets over the Warriors. And then the other teams with worse records are the Pelicans, Thunder, Kings, Knicks, Bulls. The Nets are better. Every than single team you just named, the Nets are better than. Easily. And better than half the teams that have better records than them, too. They're just. They like, aren't the, like, aren't the Timberwolves. Games aren't the Timberwolves like three and one? Yes. They there's, just lost their first there's game. no way. Like, saying that the Nets are going to be bad because they're one and three is like saying that the Timberwolves are going to be the number one seed in the West because they're three and one. The first four games of the NBA season, a lot can happen. And. Please take everything you see with a grain of salt. 
I mean, I think it's pretty clear that there are five locks in the East right now. It's Which gonna are? be the Sixers, Heat, Raptors, Celtics, Bucks are the not in that order, but those are the five current locks. And Sixers, then, Heat, Raptors. You think the Heat are a lock for the playoffs? Yes, yes, especially with Kendrick Nunn coming onto the scene with them playing Drogic and Harrow off the bench. Definitely, they have a complete roster. Yeah, I think this. I think the Sixers, the Heat, the Celtics. The Raptors are four and one. They they are still a good team. The they're Bucks. I'll say the Raptors. I don't want to say they're a lock, but they're th- a lock for the playoffs. They're they're they're, they're there's a good chance they make the, the playoffs. Magic, Cavs and Hornets and Pistons that are there right now, and then the Nets will make it. The there's Nets, no doubt in my mind they'll they will turn it around and make it. They'll easily turn it around and make it. So those are our first impressions of the Nets four games into the season. Just to recap, really bad on defense, really good on offense, free throws and turnovers need to be fixed ASAP. But wait, before we move on, I just want to say that last year, they were also bottom eight in free throw percentage and bottom five in turnovers. It's just I mean, hurting them. That was early in the season, because if you remember, around the time they were 8-18, eight and 18, we would look at the, the turnovers team stat, and they, would, they were last. Exactly. It's just hurting them more this season because they're not clicking on defense. Like, the Nets have been bad at free throws and turnovers for a good while now, but people are taking it to the extreme because they have these high expectations because we got Kyrie and KD. But let's calm it down and we'll be fine. So moving on to the Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan relationship. A lot of people thought to themselves, why bring in DeAndre Jordan this offseason if we already have a player who's theoretically the same type of player in Jared Allen. Well, question. Do you want Kevin Durant? Exactly. And that's exactly what I was going to say. Because if they told Kevin Durant no, he probably was not coming. That's part one of it. Obviously, if you're bringing in Kyrie and Kevin Durant, you're going to do whatever they say. You're going to get whatever guy they want. Temple, Garrett Temple and KD said bring in DeAndre Jordan. It doesn't matter who they said bring Not in. Difficult demand. The only player that they didn't bring in that they might have wanted was Melo. But a lot of stuff comes with Melo. Like, Melo comes with a lot of baggage. So that's something that is a completely different story. But DeAndre Jordan, he was signed primarily for two reasons. One being Kyrie and KD wanted him. So the Nets went and got him. As simple as that. Second reason being to mentor and compete with Jared Allen. So, De- DeAndre Jordan is averaging 21.3 minutes per game, and Jared Allen is averaging 27.8. Last year, he played 26.2. So, there's not a b- huge jump in his minutes. Theoretically, like I said, they're the same kind of big man, so you can't play them together. So, that's why a lot of people are wondering, why, like, what was the point? DeAndre Jordan is at the stage of his career where he's lost some of his, some of the athleticism he once had, but now he can give Jared Allen all of the wisdom that he's learned throughout all of his years in the NBA. And Look, I, I believe they had Ed Davis last year, right? Ed yeah. Davis was a great locker room presence, great rebounder, but he wasn't an all-NBA center. DeAndre Jordan is a three-time All-NBA center. Exactly, and that's what people forget. DeAndre Jordan has made the an All-NBA team three times. He is. He was a great center, and he's still good. He's not bad by any means. 
he's good. And talking about lobs from before, if someone's throwing up a lob, I still trust DeAndre Jordan to, to be slam it down. That's what I'm saying. He he's lost some of his athleticism on the defensive end, but he can still go up for a lob with anybody in the league. I don't care. DeAndre Jordan having an All NBA center, center mentor, someone that you want to become an All NBA center, is a lot better than Ed Davis. Exactly. Ed Davis exactly. There was nowhere to go but up. Up too. But DeAndre Jordan's kind of the perfect person due to their similar play styles, the shot blocking ability, athleticism, all of that stuff. It's like a big brother, little brother relationship. That's that's the that's the best way that I can put it. DeAndre Jordan being the big brother, Jared Allen being the little brother, and him teaching him, mentoring him, teaching him all of the things that he's learned. That's that's why DeAndre Jordan was bought in. But also, he was bought in to be some type of competition because when you think about it, like you just said, who has Jared Allen been competing with yeah, other, other than himself, really? Like, Ed Davis was always secure in the backup role, and Jared Allen, like, yes, of course he's young and he's going to try and play well, always, but... He never really had anyone that would take his spot. So he always felt comfortable. Exactly. Now, if he has a bad game and doesn't show effort, they could just bring in DeAndre Jordan. You don't have to play. Exactly. He'll never feel comfortable. Like, that's what, that's what, the way you stated it is perfect because I feel like if you don't bring in any competition behind Jared Allen, he'll start to feel like, oh, all right, I got this job locked up no matter how I play because what's the alternative for the Nets? Yes, you want him to feel comfortable on the team, but you don't want him to think that... To be content in the way that he's playing. To think that he's that he can't get better, you know? You always want him to want to get better. That's the point. And DeAndre Jordan will push him to do that, for sure. Exactly. So, in short, they brought him in for competition, one. To be a mentor to Jared Allen and teach him the ways to. And three... Obviously, because when Kyrie and KD say they want somebody, you go out and get that person. So with that, we want to thank everybody for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the Hoopball Nets podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcast, I can guarantee you that we are. So just search up Brooklyn Nets or Hoopball Nets, subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating and review. All reviews will get read on the podcast. If you want to follow the podcast on Twitter, it's at hoop ball nets and if you want to shoot us a follow our little twitter links are in the description so just go down there and click that and uh yeah without further ado we'll see you all next time this has been a hoop ball presentation everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.